is Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Featuring the best of the best from today's conversations, observations, and ruminations. Because great radio is still fresh the second time around. This afternoon on the Wesson Walker Show. All right, let's go to Second Take Tuesday. Second Take Tuesday, something that we did last year. Worked real well. It allows us to take a breather. The first day after a Panthers win or a loss, just 24 hours, maybe a little bit more level-headed analysis. We try to provide that with some emotion the first day, but now we'll give it to you a little bit more logically the second day. A couple plays that I have for you here, Wes, if you just want to go, I'm going to start defensively because the Jets started on offense in this game in the preseason. Mm -hmm. So defensively where I want to go with, it's actually a positive. How about Amari Barno to start the second quarter, somebody that people have been asking Asking about a lot. I think Amari Barno has been the most asked about Carolina Panther outside of your stars on the team. And he delivered with a sack where he beats a double team where he's really just fast enough to give an inside move, sets Makai Becton up on the outside, goes on the inside very quickly. Zach Wilson has zero time, and they can't account for the speed and athleticism that Amari Barno shows on that pass rush. So to start the second quarter, and it was on a third and nine. There were a couple of plays where this could have, believe it or not, gotten worse for Carolina, at least defensively. And Amari Barno showing up, bringing Zach Wilson to the ground for a 15-yard loss because he just shoots out of a cannon. We're looking for things on the edge rusher, at the edge rusher position, to help us out long term. And I'm not saying Amari Barno is going to be the guy that shows up on the opposite side of Brian Burns five years from now when he's someone that's going to make a big old second contract. I don't want to get it too twisted. But we have been looking uh, for ways to manufacture some pass rush. And you got a sign of that from someone that the Panthers fans had been asking about. Brandon Smith was bad. My next play I'll get to takes a look at Brandon Smith. Lots of people asking about him. But I'm glad that Amari Barno showed us something, Wes. Yeah, he did. And so that was a great move on that pass rush. He beat two defenders, split them right down the middle, and that's the thing you like to see. They couldn't you don't catch want up. to see him. Yeah, you don't want to see him getting schemed to where he has, you know, just a, a free run at the quarterback and is able to go in there and make the play. He really did show you something right there and show you the type of ability. Can he continue that? Can it doesn't have to be sacks all the time, but can he do enough to bother the quarterback in some of these preseason games coming up? Can he do enough to get some tackles for loss uh, coming up? And so the thing I think about just a couple of uh, plays off the top of my head was for one early in the game uh, JC Horn when he missed uh, the tackle I know that his uh, tackle numbers when you look analytically sometimes that's an area of struggle for him and then you think about Jamie Robinson uh, with the with the tackle that he missed as well and it kind of points to them having that 54.6 tackling grade according to PFF and so there were a few instances like I said where they could have had plays that they could make and that play was not made. I remember uh, Grugier Hill. Am I mispronouncing it? Grugier. Grugier, Grugier Hill uh, also had another one in the hole that he could have gotten uh, a tackle for loss. And Steve Smith talked about that on the broadcast and said, well, you know, the thing he took from it was at least 
that he was there to make the play, and then by the time the season comes, hopefully uh, he can make that. Because I thought, honestly, I thought Kamu played well in this game. Yeah. I, I did. Yeah, that play. I, yeah, I'm trying to remember that play. Maybe that's just what I missed. But I did think he flashed and and really pursued the football wherever it was. Mm-hmm. I thought he played pretty well. Now the other linebacker I mentioned, that's one I'll go to on the negative side, right? I gave you a positive on defense, and I thought there were plenty to work with, by the way, defensively at least within the starters who were out there. But boy, that third and two to close out the second quarter for the Jets. So Abanaconda goes up the middle for 27 yards. And on that play, he could have been tackled right at the line to gain. Probably still would have picked up the first down, but Brandon Smith just whips, man. And so if you look at that play, right? Abanaconda, it's the, it's the play that he scores the touchdown, but then it gets reversed. So he's really down at like the two or the one yard line. Brandon Smith has a chance right there in that gap. Mano a mano, bring him down for a minimal gain doesn't make the tackle and you give up a monster touchdown eventually to close out that half and dj johnson also held in check by the offensive line so it was a counter you're i think everybody's moving to the right mm-hmm. and then abanaconda gets it or excuse me going to abanaconda's left mm-hmm. he gets it going to the right and dj johnson just doesn't make enough of a play i thought maybe he could have but the offensive lineman does a good job of holding him in check really it was about brandon smith and of course we can easily see the significance of that big old run it set them up for a touchdown play rather than possibly holding them to a field goal because even if they get that first down you're within 30 seconds of play within the first half and so if you just keep them in front of you the whole time then you might just allow a field goal but that was a bad play by the defense especially Brandon Smith missing that tackle and it's why I believe he was the second worst graded Carolina Panther only second to Michael Jordan in this game yeah and so I'm going to look at when you talk about a positive from the game Uh, I'm going to talk about Sam Franklin uh, coming in there, making some of the plays that he did. He looked pretty good out there when he got the interception as well. And I know that he's known as a special teams guy. And so a lot of people are kind of just wondering if he's going to be a guy that's going to be able to step step up and be a part of that secondary, uh, to be frank. And so I thought he made that play. And he had another uh, pretty good play on the afternoon as well to show that maybe he can be more than a special teams guy. And so uh, you, you wonder how great of a chance does he have to make this roster? Because you think about in preseason games when guys do make plays, how much the coaches put it in context because you'll see guys who will ball out during the preseason and get cut and you'll be like well what happened he scored like two or three touchdowns or he made this amount of sacks or something like that so uh, for Sam Franklin Jr. he had a nice uh, I guess you can't call it a coming out party but he had a nice first preseason game and we'll see if he can continue to stack up on that and Eric Rowe had some physical plays uh, as well yeah, he shot out of uh, a cannon yeah not one defensive uh, on that one play yeah. that he had yeah it was a nice tackle from Eric Rowe if he just want to go to some other standouts. Man, I I actually came away more impressed with Dante Jackson than I was yesterday. So we mentioned the two plays in a row, right? When Zach Wilson leads the team to go and score a field goal on the first drive of the of the game that they have, catches up with McCole Hardman. 
is in coverage when you have the intended target to Alan Lazard. But I forgot that he also made a tackle in the run game when Michael Carter breaks through the second level and Dante Jackson's right there. We know that Dante is a little bit of a smaller guy. We know that the advanced stats don't always point to him being a great tackler. I think Dante is a willing tackler. It just doesn't mean that he's always great at it. But right there, he brought Michael Carter down for a loss. No, I don't want him to even get to a point where it has to be Dante Jackson making that tackle. But at least he did. And I think that's why PFF graded Dante so highly. You can see it pretty easily if you go back and watch the film on what Dante did. Mm -hmm. If we have questions about him, you at least feel good about what he did in preseason game number one. But just like I'm not going to overreact to some poor play, I'm also not going to overreact to what was very good play, in my opinion, from Dante. Gotta bring it to the regular season. Let's move on to the offense here. The first drive was the only first down that you saw from Bryce Young. Mm -hmm. The rest were immediately over as soon as he took the football field. And I thought one of the big plays on the first uh, drive, nobody was really talking about. So they were set up with a second and five, Wes, at the Carolina 40. You were in shotgun, and Hayden Hurst draws a penalty. It's a false start. So after a five-yard pickup on first down, you pick up a second and five, it turns into a second and ten. That would end with a DJ Chark in completion. My question is, what happens if Hayden Hurst doesn't jump? So second and five, pretty favorable matchup for the offense after a five-yard pickup. That was two DJ Chark. Tight coverage. Bryce delivers it. No separation, but still, you're able to pick up a nice gain. So if it's second and five, you run it with Chuba. Maybe you set yourself up for a third and short. I'm not saying a second and ten is insurmountable. You would like your offense to be able to come back from that every now and then, but it's certainly different than second and five. So if Hurst doesn't jump then is it as ugly do we have a score to talk about do we have the Panthers moving past midfield do we have that at least to talk about that penalty while I don't expect Hayden Hurst to draw a ton of penalties throughout the regular season that one really affected the morale and how we talked about what Bryce Young and that unit did and done the first drive was done and then we know that he wouldn't do anything in the next two series that's all it takes man it's just a, a penalty on a big down like that football so situational who knows what could have happened had he not jumped so you don't want to see that especially from a veteran tight end but that's why it's preseason this is the time to be able to get those mistakes out uh and then just looking at something else defensively that that's something to fix going forward or something i'm sure that they'll look at is the screen game i felt like the jets were very successful uh in the spring game and a lot spring game in the screen game and a lot of times that's due to over pursuit they were four for four had 37 yards on it so they averaged about nine yards per attempt every time what nine yards every time they ran a screen play so i thought that kind of hurt them as well so you brought up the screen game i, I brought that up yesterday shaq thompson frankie luvu maybe a miscommunication and i think it was frankie just late on that Michael Carter 25-yard reception. So it was a, I believe it was a third down. It was yeah. a third and short. Mm -hmm. And I think Frankie just got caught sleeping where Car Carter's coming out of the backfield. Nothing crazy. I mean, they, they had a crosser, and so maybe he was paying attention. But he and Shaq are right there in the middle of the field. Right. There's just not any spacing there. And then Zach Wilson hits Carter at the line of scrimmage, and he's got daylight. I mean, he's got days to run, and that's what he did. That's what that's, uh, set them up to take a shot to McCole Hardman that Dante Jackson.
connection was able to break up. And you so, definitely want to see that shore up because we know those 100%. linebackers, as good as Luvu and uh, Shaq can be in the run game and, and out there being physical, that the coverage has got to get better this season, too. Yeah, just it just looked like they were sleeping on that. Just completely unaccounted for was Michael Carter. The next play I'll go to, the only other offensive play that I have on second take Tuesday. So just when the second quarter began, you had a third and four for Carolina. All right, so third and short. Carolina could be able to pick it up. Bryce Young sacked for nine yards. And that's the play that Michael Jordan got beat so soundly on. Just zero resistance on Jefferson, who was able to bring Bryce Young down for the sack. I wanted to see what would happen in an alternate universe as we'd like to do. So if Michael Jordan just provides any resistance whatsoever, can you hold your guy for a second? Because it wasn't even a second Michael Jordan was able to hold Jefferson. The linebacker for the Jets had a choice to make between Mingo coming across over the middle and Chuba Hubbard coming out of the backfield. Seems like he chooses Chuba. And so Mingo, he's just two yards in front of the, the line to gain. If Bryce Young has any time, I'm talking any, he's able to hit Mingo and then you get a first down. But Jordan gets beat so soundly. There's a nine yard loss and the Carolina Panthers, they have to punt and Jordan just gets beat one on one. They called that out on the broadcast, too. It wasn't a blitz, wasn't any kind of stunt, anything like that. Just straight up mano a mano. Michael Jordan, your turn to go block for Bryce Young and doesn't do a good job, as we all know. It's why he has been the number one guy everybody's paying attention to as to uh, who uh, brought out the worst performance. So that was one where I thought Mingo was coming across over the middle. You pick that first down up, and then maybe you could provide some momentum. Yeah, and so another positive, too, uh, the one I'll give here is is Derek Wright and the way he came in there and played during the football game. He had three catches for 35 yards, but he showed a little bit of promise, and he was getting it done on the outside. Uh, when going to the right, he had a catch for 15 yards, and then outside left, he had two catches for 20 yards. So he was out there showing that he was capable of making some plays and showing that he may be uh, a sleeper wide receiver on this roster uh, when it's all said and done, trying to give himself a chance to be able to make this football team. Yeah, do you, How much of a shot do you give him? It's a tough position to make it. It's a tough position to make it. I mean, again, with anything in the preseason, you have to just keep stacking up those performances, man. And if he can do that, like I said, 100% reception rate on the day, three for three, three targets, three catches. So he's just got to keep putting those together, man, because you never know. Hopefully injuries don't strike, but you just never know how a training camp could turn out. And so this is the guy that's showing that he's at least willing to step up and make some plays in the early going. You can hear Wes and Walker live and local every weekday afternoon from noon to three. Sit tight and stay locked because instant replay continues next. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Because great radio the second time around is always twice as nice. Earlier today on the Mac and Bone Show. 
our next guest, maybe he'll tell us to chill out here. The man has covered football for a very long time. Uh, you have seen him on your TVs, TVs numerous times. You have heard him here on the Mac and Bone Show multiple times. We are lucky enough to be able to claim that. He is Trey Wingo, and he joins us to talk uh, plenty of football as it's just about go time right now with the pigskin. Trey, how you been doing, man? What's going on? Good. I'm just uh, finishing up my yoga for you guys. So I'm ready to roll. I'm <laughs> nice. relaxed. I'm calm. We're all good. <laughs> I don't know how much you saw of the Bryce Young debut. Um, well but <laughs> <laughs> I, if you you probably saw too much of the offensive line like we did. What did you think of Bryce? Is I mean, is it was there enough of a sample size to to conclude anything other than man, they better protect him better? What do you think? Uh, the only thing you can conclude from that sample size is we need more sample size. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's, that's just the most honest way to look at it. You know, uh, nothing was really good. Um, nothing was terribly bad. Yeah. But, you know, it's it just across the board. You know, if you go look at, uh, at what Bryce did and how Anthony Richardson played and how C.J. Stroud played, these guys are a ways away from being what the uh, the team hopes they will turn into when they draft them, where they draft them. That's not saying they won't get there. That's not saying they can't fulfill that role that these teams, including Carolina, wants Bryce Young to be, but they're not there yet, and it's going to take a while. Trey, with all the changes that we've seen with the quarterback and the coaching staff, in your view, what what is the reasonable expectation for the Panthers here in the first year of this whole new regime they have? Well, the reasonable expectation is anything is attainable because the division is ridiculous, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's the best way to look at it. If you're a Carolina Panther fan, you have to say to yourself, uh, we have everything in front of us because there's not a team in our division that we can look at and say, boy, they scare the hell out of us. That team just doesn't exist. So you go into it with those expectations and those possibilities, uh, and then you work your way through the season, but uh, the, going into the season, there should be no reason for any Carolina Panther fan to think, we, why can't we do this? Because there's not a team in our division that you look at and say, they're loaded, guys. They're way better than us. And that's and that's one of the things that we've been talking about all offseason. Yeah. Look at the division we're in. We almost won the darn thing last year, as bad as it started, yeah. uh, you know, until the coaching change. We're talking to Trey Wingo, getting his thoughts on the Panthers. I uh, I will ask you about Bryce Young kind of more specifically rather than just – or more general rather than just right. about the sample the other day. How did you kind of feel about him coming out the draft and when the Panthers traded up to pick him number one? Are you in the camp of, hey, man, I watched him at Bama – this kid's the real deal, or are you a little more worried about size and, and other things? What do you think about him in a general sense? In a general sense, I think both of those things are true. Uh, I think absolutely he's the real deal in terms of what he was able to do at Alabama. There's no question about that. You talk to anybody that talked to Bryce, he has the football acumen that you would want in a first-round draft pick. He has the ability to make the throws in a first-round draft pick. But I'm not going to lie to you, his size scares the hell out of me. It just does. And you know, we, we talk about smaller quarterbacks and how they're how they're sort of uh, more in vogue now than they've ever been. Whether it's you know when Russell Wilson came out in 2012 or with Kyler Murray and all this stuff, and all those things are true. But guys, he's just so slight of frame. That's the thing that scares me. Russell is short, but he's stocky. All right, and obviously it's not the best season Russell had last year. Kyler Murray is very fast. Uh, and and I just I really like we had reports before the draft that he was playing in Alabama at about 175 pounds, 
and that's just so small. Um, and you know, th- unfortunately for for Bryce, that's the thing he cannot control, and that's the thing he cannot change. If he stays healthy, I think he has the potential to be really, really good. But he looked small out there, and that's my own my only concern. No one you go across the board with Bryce, and you talk to everybody that's played with him or has talked to him or evaluated him. He has everything you want in a franchise quarterback except his height and his weight. Are and some of the are things? I'm sorry. Are some no, of the ahead. size concerns alleviated a little bit more now because of how well protected the quarterbacks are, say, differently than they were 20, 25 years ago? Yeah, I, absolutely. But, you know, it just takes one, you know? I mean, like, it takes someone rolling up on your ankle or it takes, uh, you know, Jalen Hurts got hurt running the ball last year in Philadelphia and missed two games and probably should have missed three games uh, if they didn't have to win that last game to knock down the division in the number one seed. So it, all of those things are 100% true, and they are more protected. But it just takes one, and that's that that that's what has me nervous. Nothing about his play, right, yeah. his ability, none of that. He has all of those things in in buckets. It's just that that physical thing that every time he's out there, I'm sort of crossing my fingers. Well, and it was so nice of the Panthers O-line. His first pass of his career, he absolutely gets mollywopped. I mean, it was almost <laughs> yeah. like that was the plan. Let's prove to everybody he could take a hit. Uh, less yeah. of that. Less of that. We're yes. talking. We're talking with Trey Wingo uh, here on the Mac and Bone Show, previewing the NFL season. All right, let's get into the NFC South, uh, Trey. You were talking about how our mantra should be probably the same in these other cities, right? Like, hey, why not us in this division? It was one with eight games last year by Tom Brady, and he's going from the division. If you had to make a pick, you know, and, and, and put some money on it, like who would you go with? Who would you deem the Trey Wingo favorite in this goofy division? Well, you know, obviously, I, I think you, you have to start with quarterback, right? And you look at the quarterbacks in the division, uh, and you have obviously a rookie in Bryce. You have two quarterbacks in Tampa. I mean, I've never seen an NFL depth chart with an or on the quarterback <laughs> between Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask. Uh, and then you have someone we're uncertain of uh, in in Desmond Ritter. Although I really like what the Falcons have done around Desmond Ritter with the talent they've drafted around him, including Bijan Robinson. And then you have Derek Carr. And Derek Carr, to me, is the most established quarterback in this division. And we start there. Uh, and, you know, if Michael Thomas can be healthy and if they can survive the, the Alvin Kamara suspension, I think you have to naturally gravitate towards New Orleans. Um, I'm also really curious about Atlanta because, you know, Arthur Smith came over from Tennessee where he was the offensive coordinator and was a really creative guy. Well, we don't know what Desmond Ritter is going to be. But I think they're giving him the best opportunity to be the best version of himself, right? Uh, I mean, you have Kyle Pitts. You have Drake London. You still have Cordero Patterson, who's a, such a unique weapon. And now you add Bijan Robinson. I think this is the year that the Falcons find out whether or not they believe Desmond Ritter can be their franchise quarterback or not because they're giving him the most weapons around him to succeed. Whereas in Carolina, you traded away one of your best uh, offensive weapons. So, uh, you know, it's just it's uh, those two teams to me, uh, just based on you know what we've known about who they are before and the players that they have, I would put those two at the top. But that doesn't mean anything because, like you said, it's a crazy weird division. Trey, we've known you for a long time on our station. You've been a friend of, of multiple shows here, and we, and we love you for that. And we know that that Hawaii and Maui does mean a lot to you. How are you feeling right now about what's going on out there, and what can we do uh, as hosts here and listeners to help out the people of uh, Maui? 
No, I appreciate that so much. Uh, yeah, it's been a part of our lives for over a quarter of a century. It's our we consider it our home, and uh, what happened there was just devastating. And you know, it, it's going to get a lot worse for a lot of people before it gets a lot better. They think they've only really gone through three or five percent of the uh, of the area that was affected. So it's going to be just a, a massive undertaking to get that place back. And, and from what I've heard from people on the ground there, is that there are a couple of organizations that are doing wonderful things. Uh, for them directly going to the victims. And that's MauiUnitedWay.org and HawaiiCommunityFoundation.org. And every single penny that goes through those two organizations goes directly to victims without any red tape and anything like that. And it's it's going to be a long recovery to just a really special place. And, uh, you know, obviously my mind is, is there a lot these days. And we'll be heading back in October just to volunteer as much as we can. But if anybody can contribute, MauiUnitedWay.org or HawaiiCommunityFoundation.org are the best ways to go right now. Appreciate that, no doubt. By the way, Trey, I saw you uh, last month as part of the all-access uh, open championship coverage on Peacock, kind of you know whipping yeah. around, you know, and it was a kind of a cool show. Uh, what else? What else? Anything else you're involved in? You need to, to pump us up on right now. What do you got going on? Yeah, thanks. That was a lot of fun. I think I'll be doing more of that with uh, with the folks at, at Golf Channel and NBC. Also, doing my work with the Thirty Third Team. We've got a new podcast coming up there that will be announced shortly. Plus the other stuff I do there. I still have my uh, things I do for the Pro Football Network. Uh, I've just signed on with the Amazon and Wondery to do a historical sports podcast called Making Waves. That's going to be launching very soon. We're excited about that. And there's a sports app that I'm involved with called The Stunt, S-T-U-N-T, where it's basically like a sports-only platform, which is nice, right, instead of all the other stuff you find on all your social media platforms these days. You can find it in the Apple Store or also on Google Play, and uh, Mark Slareth and I are doing a weekly show on that as well. So check out The Stunt as well, S-T-U-N-T. Nice. Trey and Stink back oh, together yeah. again, as it should be, go. the dynamic you, duo you should, back together. You should do a, one of your history podcast on what the Panthers almost did to Bryce Young this past Saturday. <laughs> he was almost history, <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, it, it would be a short podcast. Oh, no, oh, man. no. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, Trey, be good. We appreciate you coming on, man. Thanks so much. Appreciate you guys as always. Take care. Listen to Mac and Bone every weekday morning from 6 to 10. Instant replay continues with more in a moment. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Earlier this week on the Kyle Bailey Show. College football is just around the corner, and for a lot of App State fans here in the Queen City, uh, that means the best time of year. App State opening up September 2nd at home on the Rock against Gardner-Webb. Week 2, they've got North Carolina, and coming off a pretty up-and-down season, the expectations are always high up in Boone, North Carolina. we got the head coach of the Mountaineers, Sean Clark, back with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Coach, it's good to have you back, brother. How you been? 
Great, Kyle. Appreciate having me on. Talk a little State football today. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, let, let's jump right in. Uh, last year, six and six, lowest win total since you moved to the FBS. But you know, five of those six losses came by one score, and uh, you got a lot going on still. Just, just give me the story now that you, the dust has settled and you've moved on to twenty twenty three. Give me the story of last year. What happened as you see it? Well, we had a lot of a lot of good things happen early in the season. You know, the first four games were the. Uh, media darlings of college football after a great uh, game versus North Carolina came up short. Uh, then yeah, you go to College Station, be the number six team in the country, and you bring college game day to Boone, North Carolina for the first time in the history of our program. And then he yeah, went on a Hail Mary with Eric Choi. So a lot of ups and downs early, and just emotional roller coasters. But you, know, you go back and look at the game, uh, we weren't blown out in any game. We Like you mentioned earlier, we lost five games with less than seven points. And, you know, we're not going to look in the rearview mirror. You can't uh, change the change time. But one thing we can do is reset. And that's been our motto since January 1st is reset. It's not a reload. It's not a rebuild. It's just a reset. And I think our team has taken that to heart. And it comes from coaches and players. And, and that's carried on through summer workouts, now through fall camp. So, I'm, yeah, I'm glad you laid it out that way. Um, you know, you're not just the head coach at App State. You played there. It's in your blood. You love that place. And so if you go back to last year, you know, and you, you get the big win over Texas A&M, and game day comes to town, and you need a Hail Mary to beat Troy, and, you know, it's up and down and up and down. Uh, Sean, you're not an old guy. In fact, you're still pretty young in the coaching profession. You're still growing and learning and developing yourself. What did Sean Clark learn about Sean Clark last year? Well, I think the biggest thing for me is keep the main thing the main thing, and, and that's our players and everything involved in our program and, um, and and do what's right for our players. But, you know, I wouldn't change much except you know, the ball didn't bounce our way in a few games, and we have to be able to finish out games both offensively and defensively uh, to give ourselves a, a chance to win. And, and the Sunbelt Conference and right now is the top five uh, in the top five of all college football. And uh, the margin of error is zero in our conference right now. You have great teams, and uh, they know how to win, have a lot of winning position, and but again, it's about finishing the drives, finishing what we know how to do here at App State, and and you know reassess the program of how we did things. We changed some things and kind of took a full um, assessment of our program. And I think we have things where we uh, we we have to have to, to win this in this conference. Sean Clark, head football coach, Appalachian State. They open up with Gardner Webb coming up on September the second, and uh, you'll be doing so with a new quarterback, no Chase Bryce. Uh, it sounds like Ryan Berger, but I know you're all about competition up there. What, what do you g- give me the uh, the essence of the quarterback competition right now, and how you see that room? It's a great competition right now. We we, we talked to both our quarterbacks with Ryan Berger and uh, Joe Aguilar, and to be fair to both, we went through spring practice and through some of our workouts now through fall camp, and I hope to we hope to have uh, starting quarterback names here in the next week or so, but you know, both guys are competing and, and they're great fil- uh, friends off the field and, and it just makes for a healthy um, uh, competition and one day, one kid's playing better than the other, but to me, we have two quarterbacks that can win this conference and win uh, every game we play so uh, when I say that, I feel very confident uh, where we are as a quarterback situation, they have a lot of uh, great weapons around them. They don't have to win the game. They really have to manage the football game. So um, I guess the biggest thing is don't throw the ball to the opposing team. We'll be fine. So as far as the offense goes, also, you know, kind of an old but also new face calling the plays this year for you. Frank Ponce, after a year at Miami as a quarterback's coach, coming back to run the offense. How does that change things? What do things look like this year offensively? And, and what would you like to see this group improve upon? Well, you know, this is the fourth year as the head football coach here at App, and it's the fourth different offensive coordinator. Uh, so, again, they leave for more money. I wouldn't say better jobs, but for more money. But to bring Frank Potts back, who has a, 
Um, he knows the culture of our program, knows what we do well. You know, we've worked together, but this is the third time we work together. Uh, so, and he's been, he went away to Miami for one year and he brought some new ideas in. And, you know, you have to change with time sometimes. So, um, I really like where he is as an offensive staff. We have a, a lot of new, new faces on our staff that brought new ideas in. But uh, Coach Ponce has been excellent. He's a great uh, developer of quarterbacks and great developer of men. Defensively. Where, where did you feel this team was lacking last year, either in terms of scheme or personnel? And where, where are you hoping to make the biggest jump this year? Well, I think it's just about, you know, getting lined up and, and, and making and the right assignments. And, you know, one thing of our defense, we're a 3-4 defense, and it's really about you know, matching numbers and staying on top. And if, if one person doesn't do their job, it affects the, the other 10. So uh, just do your job. Uh, you, you don't have to make some super play, but you have to be able to fit the right gaps you know, stay on top of the uh, of the, the deepest receiver and then make plays. And I think we're tackling well better than we have in the last uh, couple of years right now uh, coming through fall camp. And that's going to make a major difference. Coach Sloan is leading our defense, and I, I gave him every opportunity to bring in who we need to fix this thing on defense. And it wasn't broken last year. We just had to enhance some things um, to give us a, chance, a better chance to win this year. Scott, Sean Clark, head coach, App State Mountaineers. He's with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Uh, coach Gardner-Webb to start, Trey Lamb and company obviously doing great things at that program at their level. But uh, if I can look ahead to week two against North Carolina really quickly. Um, you know, your thoughts on that game early in the season. Obviously, you've, you've played Carolina quite a bit over the years, played them incredibly competitively last year uh, in an offensive shootout. You know, how motivated are you going into that one? Just give me a, a quick thought about the in-state opponent coming up in week two. Well, I think that our first three games, you look, you look at we're playing three in-state opponents. That's I right. Think it's great for college, I think it's great for college football. You look across the landscape of you know conference realignments and playing from the West Coast to the East Coast. You know, our fans can drive to um, every one of our games this year except um, uh, Wyoming and, and Louisiana Monroe. And, and that's great for college football. But I'm very... Uh, we're very fortunate that Coach Brown has given us the opportunity to play in a three-game series. And, you know, if any, any indication from last year, it's going to be a hell of a game. But uh, we're not going to look over Gardner-Webb. We've been watching them all summer long, and Coach Land does a fantastic job with his program down there. They went to the playoffs last year, the second round. And um, our first first four games are, first, are not easy. So we have to prepare like it's game day right now. I think our players have done a great job of really uh, focusing on the task at hand. That's improving every day and get ready for Gardner-Webb. Uh, yeah, and East Carolina Week 3, as you said, I mean, some gr- a great way to start the season. It does lead me into a question then, because you are a college football coach, and even though the Sun Belt is not only intact, but you know, strengthening over the past couple of years, the entire landscape of college football is changing. It's begging questions about, you know, does college football need to break off into its own entity and be treated entirely differently? And, you know, we're bemoaning the loss of regional rivalries and bus leagues and, you know, things that don't make a whole lot of geographical sense in lieu of trying to make gobs and gobs of money. As as a college football coach, what's your view on all this change? Is it good for the game? Well, you mentioned earlier, it is about money and, and uh, who can make the most right now. But again, I think the Sun Belt, I think our commissioner, Commissioner Gill, and our athletic director, Doug Gillen, uh, that was a big, Doug had a big uh, uh, spot in this whole realignment from the Sun Belt. I think we're stronger now than we ever have been. And, you know, you look at the Sun Belt, you just come back to last year, uh, Old Dominion beats Virginia Tech, uh, uh, Georgia Southern goes to Nebraska, Marshall beats Notre Dame, and we go to A&M. So we have a great brand in the Sun Belt and Appalachian State, and we'll go for anybody anywhere, anytime. I'm a Virginia Tech alum, Coach. Thanks for leading with that one. That, was, that, was, that felt, <laughs> felt great that you led with that one. I just threw my hands up when you said it. I can't, I can't get away from ODU. It bothers me to no end. 
You you did it to me too. It's all right. Sean Clark, good guy. He's with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. My producer was laughing at me. That's why I had to say something. You just led right with it. We were just talking about that the other day. Um, but no, I mean seriously, this sport. I, I, look, time marches on. Things change. Conferences realign as we see. But I mean, do, do you think that the the best days of college football are still ahead of it, or do you worry about that? You always worry about that. And really keeping the, the rivalry games and. And that's why I mentioned that with the Sun Belt, we have regional rivalries. You look back to the Southern Conference days, and it was Appalachian State and Marshall. Whoever won that game won the, won the Southern Conference. And now you include you know, Georgia Southern. We have a great rivalry now with Coastal Carolina, um, Georgia, uh, Georgia State. And our conference is, is built to last right now. If you, and the proof is in the pudding. And we've sold our season tickets for the last two years. Uh, we've sold out the, uh, three home games already. We'll probably announce two more in the next few days. So you know, if you want to put people in the stands and play in, in big-time college atmospheres, there's there's no better place in the Sun Belt here than here and here in Boone, North Carolina. Sean, do you, how much pressure do you feel personally? Because no one knows the standard in Boone better than you do, and 6-6 six and six is you know a good bit off the standard. Going into this year, year four, do you feel a lot of pressure to get this thing turned around, and what does that feel like? Well, I think when you're a college football game, it doesn't matter if you're 10-2 and two or 6-6, six and six, pressure is pressure. But you know, one thing here, uh, pressure is a good thing because that means there's expectations. And that means that, that people care about your program, care about you know, how you do things. And I wouldn't call it much pressure, it's more expectations, but I'd rather have that, that kind of more pressure to win than people are saying 6-6 six and six is okay. I'm going to learn from here. Uh, I believe black and gold. I know what it takes to win here. I've been part of you know, four conference championships as a, as a assistant coach. Now leading, I played in the conference championship game as the head coach, and we have the right people in the building, and we have the right players, and I think we're going to make another run this year at it. I love it, Sean Clark, head coach, App State Mountaineers. He's with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline as always, Coach. We appreciate you. We'll catch up soon. Thanks for having me on, and I just wanted to say all thanks to all the App State Mountaineers out there listening to your show. Tune into Instant Replay when the audio was so good it has to be heard again. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan.